Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. everyone. Welcome to Friday night. Uh, it's really good to have you here. Uh, I'm really glad you're here, especially if you watched last night, because we, you know, featured a story last night that was really super overwhelming. And we've had a lot of feedback on it. Our own staff, uh, you know, really had to process the, the story because it was so difficult. And we have a follow-up tonight um, that I think is, is important. If you weren't with me last night, here's just a really quick recap um, young woman, uh, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to say it, but Lacey Ellen Fletcher suffered probably the worst death imaginable. She was severely autistic, disabled, she was in the care of her parents, and I don't know how it happened, but somehow they allowed her to die in the hole in that couch, because that's how the first responders found her. Literally wasting away and fusing to the couch, starving to death, among myriad other causes of death. Uh, this, this poor, poor young woman was so neglected that her parents have now had to plead guilty to manslaughter and could face 40 years each. But we could not get past. Why? Why and how? If you're her parents, could you see her day in, day out, half submerged in her own sewage, in that hole, in that couch, and wasting, her flesh wasting away. How could you live that way? How could you just walk by? Is there something we're missing? So we called a, a renowned criminal psychologist to help us get, get past the, the psychology of the people that allow this to happen to those who need them and depend on them, who they're supposed to be caring for. We also have a former medical examiner to tell us just what exactly Lacey lived through in those uh, final weeks and maybe months in that spot. Also, it is a game changer for Vince McMahon. You know, since this lawsuit came out and the allegations of like super disgusting sex and rape and trafficking and all sorts of allegations have come out against Vince McMahon and the WWE... A couple of wrestlers have come out. Many of them are under non-disclosure agreements and, and have not and did not and will not. But guess who did? Probably the biggest kahuna of them all. I don't know wrestling that well, but I know Brett the Hitman Hart. <laughs> and I'll bet you do too, even if you don't know wrestling that well. Can I just say that this man, Brett the Hitman, has done a TKO on Vince McMahon. And it isn't the first time. He physically did it once before, and it was not part of the act, and he has done it virtually now with his words, with his claims of what he thinks Vince McMahon has done, is capable of doing, and who he compares him to. Here's a hint. Weinstein. Epstein. Dahmer. So all of that is coming. I'm going to read Bret Hart's words, uh, word for word, just really overwhelming. And then... 
there is this story that has uh, come to us that is just hard to figure out. It's a, it's a mystery rolled into a crime scene, rolled into a, a successful kid playing baseball who's no longer with us, rolled into a big question of who and why. Grant Solomon is dead, apparently killed by his own vehicle in a freak accident. The problem is, dad was the only one there. Mom and sister say they think he did it. Police, not so sure. Mom and sister are going to join me tonight, as well as Olivia Vitale. Um, Olivia Vitale is a very popular TikToker who has been following this story and is the definitive voice on it. She's going to be live in just a moment as well. But let me start here. In most of the crime stories that we talk about, the biggest mystery, the hardest part to solve is the why. Why did the guilty person do whatever the terrible thing was they did? It's far and away the biggest question in the unspeakably awful case that we have been covering in Louisiana. As you know, if you've seen our coverage, a 36-year-old autistic woman named Lacey Ellen Fletcher died two years ago last month in that home. Looks like a lovely home. She shared that home apparently with her parents, Clay and Sheila, and they look like lovely church-going parents. But Lacey's tortured life ended on this couch, a couch that the medical examiner said she maybe hadn't left in more than a decade, maybe even two decades. The first responders found Lacey nearly naked, her body sunken into that hollowed-out area of the couch, and she was half-submerged in her own sewage in that crater. It was so bad that her skin had literally fused to what was left of the couch. And I'm going to give you a warning here. I am about to show some pictures that were taken before Lacey was removed from that hole in the couch. These pictures are extremely disturbing. They are not for the light of heart. The coroner and the district attorney wanted us to publish these photos, even though they show Lacey's body. The coroner and the district attorney say they want people to know the depth of the crime that was committed against Lacey by her own parents who were supposed to be caring for this severely disabled woman. Okay, so we're going to show the pictures now if you are braced. And yes, we have had to edit them. There is no other way. Even this is hard to take. In that picture, under that blur, Lacey was covered head to toe in insect bites. Maggots, gnats, and roaches were found on her. Bed sores and sepsis had stripped her flesh to the bone in many of the areas in her lower half. She was just 96 pounds when she was found like this, covered in her own feces, head to toe. It was even, it was even found in her stomach contents. And so was the foam from the couch that she had apparently tried to eat before starving to death in that position right there. At autopsy, Lacey tested positive for COVID as well. They could not stretch her body out because she was found in that position. The coroner gave us these pictures. He said a brush had not seen her hair in years. The bugs were matted throughout. Last night, that coroner joined me here on the program, and the coroner told me that he was so deeply affected since performing that autopsy, he couldn't, he couldn't eat for a week. He told us, quote, Lacey did not decompose. She rotted in her own body, in that hole, in that sewer, in that couch, end quote. 
None of this happened overnight. It did not. It did not happen over a weekend either, as the Fletchers appeared to have claimed. We just came home from away, and Lacey's not breathing, 911. And while Lacey was suffering in ways that none of us can ever imagine, Sheila and Clay seemed to be living their lives normally, coming and going to work and to church, keeping up appearances, pillars of the community. That community is slaughtered Louisiana. It's near Baton Rouge. And Sheila worked as a secretary to a prosecutor in the town next door. Sheila was also an alderman in Slaughter, Louisiana. Her husband, Clay, was an officer of the nonprofit Baton Rouge Civil War Roundtable. And here's what one of their neighbors told a Baton Rouge TV station about the Fletchers back in 2022. They go to church, you know, every, every weekend. I mean, do anything for anybody, you know? So all of this raises so many other questions, like how did this couple keep absolutely everyone from realizing the horror in their home? How could they physically withstand the sights, the stench? The stench that, that met the first responders was so overwhelming, they had to step outside. How could they watch their own daughter or anybody suffer and starve and physically rot away right in front of them year after year after year. I'm joined now by Dr. Eric Hickey. He's a criminal psychologist with more than 40 years experience working on homicides. He was a consultant on the Unabomber case and the only person who has interviewed Jeffrey Dahmer's brother and mother. Uh, Dr. Hickey, thank you for, for, for being here. I know that it was hard for you to look at those photos as well when we sent them to you. So um, my apologies that you've now joined our club of having to endure that as a memory forever. What do you think happened here with these parents? How on earth could this have actually transpired? Usually in these types of cases, uh, we see that one of the two parents dominates the, the, the actual discussion, kind of rules over the other. Um, and, and in this case, I suspect... We're going to see that the mother was the weakest one, and she would follow the, the husband. He strikes me as a little bit eccentric, uh, probably did not have, have a, an attachment to his daughter that normal people would have with their, with their children. And when you don't have attachment to your children, it's very easy then to abuse them or to, uh, to actually neglect them. Uh, and I suspect we, we're going to find that in this case. Uh, on the surface, they can appear to be very normal. Um, people are going to say, well, they must, be, must have been crazy. Um, well, they weren't mentally ill. Certainly what we wouldn't see that, but we certainly can see uh, personality disorders. And I would not, not be surprised that uh, we would find that, especially with, with the husband. Um, she strikes me as someone who would be very dependent upon him. And she just, just is responsible for what happened here. But I certainly see that uh, uh, he, uh, he was probably the, the leader of the two that could have kept this thing going over and over. And, and to, to your point... Can I ask you, Sheila, Sheila Fletcher said something to the police. She said she slept on the couch with her husband uh, every night or, or some words to that effect. You've seen the photos. You've seen the condition of Lacey's body. It is, to me, as a layperson, it is 100% impossible that one could even be in the same room as this, this horror was unfolding. Do you have any belief whatsoever that they spent any time... Um, on that couch with her, let alone maybe even in, in that home at all? I think from the mother's perspective, probably in her fantasy world, that she wanted to be with her daughter. 
there's probably some of that going on with in her in her mindset that that she really could not she's in denial of what's happened here and so she wanted to spend time with her daughter but i'm sure she did not sleep on that couch uh, nor nor did the nor did the father very likely they probably stayed in another in a hotel or something somewhere else um, and when they would come by, I'm sure they didn't spend time in the room with her very often. But in the, in, the, in the mind of the mother, she's still being a mother to her child, but she's being controlled by this man. And I'm, I'm telling you that you know, there are women who will allow their children to be sacrificed in order to keep that man in their home, uh, which is a horrible thing to think about. But we have people in our society that, that actually do this. And, and it could be the other way around, and it could be something in, entirely different. When we hear at sentencing, we might learn more because they're facing zero to 40. So they're going to have to have some kind of story to tell that judge. I do have this question. They, they called 911. And so as I think this over, I, I just can't get past, what did you think was going to happen? You called 911. What did you think was going to happen when 911 responders arrived at the home? Does it speak to a level of complete disassociation with the reality of, of, the, of the condition their daughter died in? Well, this is where I see the mother coming in as a very weak person. She sees what's happened, um, and now they have to call somebody. So they, so they call the police and they call the first responders to come in. And, and yet, in her fantasy world, well, she didn't kill her child. Her child just died. And so we, we need to get help for her. Uh, the husband knows what's going on, but he's not attached to his child. So a normal family, we don't see anything like this going on. But in their, in their situation, I see a lot of denial that, uh, that they've not done no harm at all. Um, I don't, she doesn't strike me as someone who's trying to deceive people. I think she's just uh, in, under his kind of spell. Uh, if you look at him... He strikes me as a person who is very, very controlling of her. Um, again, I'm not trying to excuse her for anything that happened here, but I don't think she had the capacity really to to stand up against him. It's so distressing. You know, um, again, I, I can't wait for this sentencing to hear anything more about this remarkable and distressing mystery. Dr. Hickey, thank you for your insight. Appreciate it. Thank you for, for doing this, and thank you for looking at those photos and helping us to navigate. One of the worst I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same. I'm 36 years in this business now, and I've never seen anything like it. All right, I want to bring in um, Dr. Michelle Dupree. She's a retired forensic pathologist, former medical examiner, and former law enforcement officer. Dr. Dupree, thank you. You have also seen the photos. And again, my apologies, you've had to endure that as well, even in your line of work, even in my line of work. I have found it very distressing. We were just talking, Dr. Hickey and me, about mom versus dad. Mom also didn't know the age of her daughter and had to be asked three times on the 911 call what, what was the age of her daughter. She finally settled on 31, but, you know, Lacey was 36. You've seen the photos. You've seen the aftermath. What are your thoughts about this crime uh, as a whole? This is horrendous. It's it's unfathomable. The the degree of neglect and abuse that she suffered um, is inexcusable. And I hope that they are sentenced strongly. You have mentioned stage four, I, and pardon the pronunciation, is it decubitus ulcers or bed sores? Can you explain? Um, I can't show the actual photos that really do illustrate the level of damage to this woman's physical 
tissues and, and body on her lower half. But can you describe as best you can um, to the audience what, what happened to Lacey? Sure. Because she was sedentary, she was not moved, um, pressure builds up and it erodes the skin. It basically rots. And not only did it rot the skin, but it rotted all the way down to the bone. The bone was actually exposed. This is the worst stage. It causes sepsis. The, the person becomes infected, um, basically blood poisoning, and that leads to death. And it is from neglect. How long did it take for this kind of, um, of injury pattern. And, and maybe you can help, the, as we're looking at very graphic content, maybe you can help the audience understand the, the bruising, the, the discoloration, so much of what we're seeing on Lacey's back. Is that also part of what she suffered while alive? Or is that blood pooling after death? And how long do you think it took for the, the horrendous injuries that we've had to blur uh, to actually form? Well, the decubitus ulcers deformed to that degree, it would take several days, perhaps um, 10 days or so. Um, so that was a little while. The rest of the, the body that we see really didn't take that long, as, as was mentioned. She basically was alive when she was filled with maggots um, and the bed sores. So she, she had a horrific death. You said days, maybe weeks, but others, the coroner, believed it could have been months that, that it took for that kind of the depth of the damage to, to her tissues. Is it possible she was like that for months? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I also just want to play very quickly a moment in the 911 call, and you are going to hear the mother being instructed by the operator to um, perform CPR. I, I believe she says that the husband is going to try. They can't get her off the couch onto the floor. Lacey is effectively on her side, folded over her crossed legs to the side. And I want you to listen to the sounds that are coming through the 911 call. Ostensibly, this is supposed to be the sounds of CPR, and I want to get you to judge whether this is real or whether it's fake. Here's the call. Are, are we doing compressions or on the couch? If we can't get a foot again, we can do compressions on the couch then. Are we doing compressions now? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to need you to count loud with me, okay? So I'm going to instruct you, okay? You know, there are times, Dr. Dupree, where you can hear um, the husband's voice during that sound, and then there are other times where you can hear the uh, wife's voice. It's certainly not likely to be Lacey's voice. She was dead. What are your thoughts just hearing those sounds of that um, 911, you know, led CPR? It was not CPR. It would be impossible to do CPR to Lacey in her condition. Um, she was not able to even be stretched out. Um, it, it would not be possible. That was not CPR. You think it was just a fake um, breathing pattern that either the mother or father had been doing to satisfy to the 911 operator? Absolutely, in my opinion, yes. Well, I wonder if that will come into the sentencing. Um, Dr. Michelle Dupree, thank you for your insight. Um, really, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And again, my apologies, you've had to see those photos, but it's very insightful and very informative to have someone of your uh, level weigh in. Thank you.
Still to come, a, um, a dramatic day in the Vince McMahon investigation. One of the biggest names in wrestling broke his silence in a big way, calling McMahon some of the worst things in the book and comparing him to Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, and even Jeffrey Dahmer. Is this going to break that dam wide open? Details next. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. In his wrestling days, Bret Hart was as big as they come, a superstar. Let me put it to you this way. I don't know a whole lot about wrestling, no little, uh, but I know Bret Hart. I know Bret the Hitman Hart and his late brother Owen. Um, like I said, Bret the Hitman Hart, but he was also known as the excellence of execution. And today, he just might have body slammed Vince McMahon's chances of beating or even surviving the sex assault allegations against him. In a very lengthy and revealing interview to Slate.com, Hart calls McMahon a joke, who will be remembered alongside Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, and even Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm going to tell you a whole lot more in just a moment, but first I want to explain to non-wrestling fans why Bret the Hitman Hart saying this is such a big deal. In the 15 days since Janelle Grant filed her jaw-dropping lawsuit against Vince McMahon and the WWE, um, which McMahon had built up from the ground and ruled with an iron fist, several former and current wrestlers have spoken out, but not one of them is as famous or even close um, to being massive. And not one of them was like tight with McMahon, as Bret Hart was, like tight. In the 1980s, and especially the 90s, Bret the Hitman Hart was the literal face of McMahon's organization, the t-shirts, the toys, the magazine covers, the video games, you name it. He is a five-time WWE champion, and in the 90s, he held the championship for 654 days. That's more than any other wrestler that decade. Hart and McMahon were so involved in, uh, well, they were, they were actually, yeah, let me put it to you this way. At one point, one of the most infamous, infamous moments in WWE history happened. It was something that they called the, quote, Montreal Screwjob. Uh, McMahon led Hart to believe that he was going to win a championship. Remember, all this stuff is scripted. So when the referee ended up handing the belt over to Hart's opponent, Hart was so pissed off. He did something a lot of people have wanted to do over the years. He followed Vince McMahon into the dressing room and he punched him in the face for real. Knocked McMahon out. Unscripted. I know people say that wrestling is fake, and it is. But this TKO was not fake. It was real. He was mad. In 1999, Bret Hart's younger brother, Owen, also a wrestler, fell to his death while performing a stunt for the WWE. It was not uh, a good moment uh, between the Hart family and, and Vince McMahon and the company, but the company ended up settling with the family for $18 million. And still after all of that, Bret Hart said he, quote, loved and, quote, respected 
Vince McMahon and considered him a, quote, father figure, end quote. In 2016, when Bret Hart had surgery for prostate cancer, he called McMahon for comfort. To have somebody like that now turn on McMahon so forcefully and publicly shows just how far the once undisputed kingpin Vince McMahon has fallen. Here's more of what Bret Hart told Slate Magazine, and I quote, I'm going to speak my truth, and I'm not worried about Vince's feelings. He's never cared about mine. I don't have any problem with everybody kicking his head around the parking lot. I'm okay with the truth coming out. It's like Jeffrey Dahmer, Harvey Weinstein, or Jeffrey Epstein. Vince will be a joke. He'll be used for humor. And you'll shake your head at the shock value of some joke about what did Vince McMahon do? He'll always be associated with this story, especially as it gets bigger and bigger. I don't think this is the only incident of this kind of predatory behavior. I think you'll find that it's everywhere in the WWE. I always had a respect for him. Now it's tainted. I'm embarrassed that I thought so highly of him. I do not think I could ever shake his hand if he extended it. Too creepy. Wow. I'm joined now by Josie Reisman. She interviewed Bret Hart for the Slate piece, and she's also the author of the book Ringmaster, Vince McMahon and the Unmasking of America. Josie, thank you for being on. Are you surprised um, that, that Bret, somebody as famous as Bret the Hitman, has come out so forcefully against Vince? I was initially a little surprised that he was willing to speak out because generally wrestlers have been terrified to speak out about Vince McMahon. He was synonymous with the wrestling business for a very long long time. But as I spoke with Brett, it became clear to me why this time was different. And for better or worse, what really sets this time apart from other times when Vince has been accused of various problems and, uh, and crimes is the details were, for lack of a better word, gross. And... There's something about the human mind that can maybe tolerate certain kinds of crimes happening to people, but if we, as long as we're not grossed out by them. But there was a degree to which Brett felt that this was too disgusting. This was these allegations were things that he could not bring himself to imagine, and that was a breaking point for him, and it caused him to reevaluate a lot of what he had thought before about Vince McMahon. So uh, congratulations on getting this, this interview and, and doing this piece. It's so enlightening. He, um, Bret Hart told you, and I'm going to quote, it's kind of like the godfather. You never know when a guy like Vince will be your enemy again over something you say or do. He's the Teflon guy. You just can't seem to get anything on him. He's just too powerful, got too much money. But that was the story, Josie, with, with Harvey Weinstein. Uh, it's why the story against Weinstein was killed so many times before it just couldn't be killed anymore. I feel like there's a lot of parallels here. So do you sense that The Godfather is, um, is no longer Teflon and that Vince is really going to go down for this? I don't know if he'll go down, but he's certainly suffering consequences unlike any that he's ever been forced to face in the past. And... I do think that this story is not going away. I mean, there's a federal probe into alleged sexual misconduct committed by Vince, and uh, it's reportedly expanded to include these new sex trafficking allegations. So 
as long as Trump doesn't end up becoming president and killing that investigation, we can expect that there will be more fruits and more things that people will have to answer for. Because it's not if these allegations that Janelle Grant has brought forward are true, if even a fraction of them are true. The question is not just what did Vince McMahon do? It's what did other people know about what Vince McMahon was doing? When did they know it and why didn't they do anything? Glad you said that, because Brett told you that that um, the WWE was full of predatory behavior. He said, quote, I don't think this is the only incident of its kind of predatory behavior. I think you'll find that it's everywhere in WWE. John Laurinaitis is part of the suit um, that Janelle Grant brought. And, and the, the details involving John Laurinaitis were as filthy, um, maybe not as numerous, but as filthy as, as those against Vince. And yet he's coming out saying he's a victim um, of, of Vince. What do you make of, of that? Or is everybody going to CYA and say all their bad behavior was because Vince forced them to do it? Like, like almost like the Nazis always blamed, uh, the fact that they were on orders. I, I don't know exactly what everyone will do. There is not really a party line yet, but you can't discount the degree to which someone like Vince McMahon can wield power over an entire industry and certainly over the company that he ran and create a complete culture of silence. I mean, again, if a fraction of these things are true, there were a lot of people who knew what was happening. And this is not the first allegation, you know? I mean, you have going all the way back to 1992 when the first female referee in the WWF, Rita Chatterton, came forward and said Vince raped her. And he managed to wriggle out of that. But it does feel like the climate has changed. And also, he structurally was no longer the top person at his company. Ari Emanuel of Endeavor owns, uh, you know, was his boss. And that, that sure. meant he could not enforce total message discipline. Josie Reisman, um, just great writing uh, for, for Slate.com. Also the author of Ringmaster, Vince McMahon and the Unmasking of America. I'm definitely going to have you back. Thanks for your help. Thanks for having me. And a quick note to our audience here, if you're a former employee of the WWE or if you have information about this case and you want to share your story, you can contact me directly. The email um, is on your screen. It is banfieldtips at newsnationnow.com. Just take a screen grab of that right now. You can always remain anonymous, but, but reach out for sure. Still to come, a high school senior dies after being run over by his own truck. The only witness the teen's well-known father, who says the death was an accident. But the rest of his family isn't quite so sure, and his sister claims she has reason to be suspicious of dad. True crime phenom Olivia Vitali of the Chronicles of Olivia on TikTok joins me next live with the story. to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Grant Solomon was a standout on the Grace Christian Academy baseball team in Franklin, Tennessee. But Grant Solomon barely made it to his 18th birthday. He died in 2020 and not everybody was convinced that it was an accident. As the story goes, Grant met up with his dad at a baseball training facility. But as Grant was walking to the back of his truck to get his equipment, the truck somehow began to roll and then somehow rolled right over Grant, dragging him to his death. Grant's dad, Aaron Solomon, a former TV news anchor in Nashville, was parked right beside Grant when it happened. But Aaron says he was looking down at an email on his phone and that that's all he knows. There were no other witnesses. And as far as police and Aaron Solomon are concerned, Grant died in a tragic freak accident. But here's where things go sideways. Grant's little sister does not buy dad's story. Gracie Solomon thinks her father has something to do with her brother's death and furthermore claims that her father did bad things to her as well. On YouTube and elsewhere, Gracie has claimed that her father sexually abused her for years and suggested that the abuse is what cost her brother his life. Take a listen. Dad protecting me from my father, Aaron Solomon. My father's a monster. It makes me want to vomit. I've been minimalized, but now I've found my voice to be able to tell you that my father raped me, hurt me, and I'm not going to be a victim of this monster. He's a rapist, he's a molester, he's a liar, and he's a killer. It is safe to say that Gracie's story has virtually lit the internet on fire. Aaron Solomon is denying everything, going so far as to sue his ex-wife, Angie, for defamation. Uh, to be clear, no charges have ever been filed against Aaron Solomon. Uh, my next guest has been following all of this closely. Her Chronicles of Olivia on TikTok boast 1.1 million followers and more than 50 million likes. Here she is covering an allegation that Grant was being physically abused by his dad, Aaron as well, and also uh, that his school allegedly ignored Grant's pleas for help. Breaking news, we have an update with the Grant Solomon case. Remember how right before he mysteriously died, he went to his school to ask for help because of the abuse happening in his family from his father. Well, now his school is under fire because concerned citizens of Tennessee have filed a complaint against them. It has documentation showing that the school failed to report the abuse happening to Grant and his family. Olivia Vitelli has also covered the Idaho student murders and the Gabby Petito tragedy, and she is here with me uh, now live. Olivia, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It's really good to have you on. Can you walk me through some of the inconsistencies that you have found in this story? Yes, there's many inconsistencies, one of them being that during the 911 call that Aaron Solomon had, he mentioned that there were three un other men with him. However, in the police report, those three other men are not mentioned. And also, he tells a story that Grant was dragged 
into the ditch. And there's rocks in the ditch. There's asphalt in the parking lot. And at the hospital, Grant had no scratches, no bruises. He just had a laceration to the back of his head. So that does not corroborate his story of him being dragged on concrete and asphalt into a ditch. So the um, mom, Angie, says that there, um, the abuse allegedly goes back to 2013. What are, what are the allegations? What kind of abuse are they saying happened? In May of 2013, that is when Gracie told her mother about what um, her father was doing to her in the bathroom. Um, these are um, sexual abuse um, allegations. And um, Angie confronted Aaron about this. He actually admitted to this, she tells me. And the next thing she knew, she was back in court. And for the next seven years, I mean, it was just a court battle. Um, Sometimes Aaron would take the children away from Angie and even tell the kids that their mother was dead. And when Grant turned 18 years old, he planned to actually get full custody of his little sister to protect her. And before he could do that, he passes away. So it's just very suspicious. And many of Grant's friends even attest that he was going to do this. This really meant a lot to him. And he loved his sister very much and his mother. It's so tragic. And, and it's important to, to let our audience know these are allegations. Um, Aaron Solomon has not been charged with any kind of abuse that is, um, is alleged also not with the, the death of his son. But it is so disturbing. Olivia Vitelli, thank you for, for joining me. And I hope you'll come back again and, and talk with us again as you continue the investigation. Thank you for having me on your show, Ashley. It's great to have you. We'll do it again. Okay. So... You know, this is just quite a story. I don't want you to go anywhere because Grant Solomon's mother and Grant Solomon's sister are standing by live and they're going to join me right after the break. Baseball team. He was killed by his own car in what appeared to be a freak accident. Police and Grant's father, who was there when it happened, both say that Grant's death was an accident, period. But Grant's mom and sister and a whole lot of other people say they are not buying that story and they want a deeper investigation done into Grant's death. Grant's mom, Angie Solomon, and Grant's sister, Gracie Solomon, are both here with me live. Thank you to both of you. And I'm so sorry that you have lost your loved one and that you are in the circumstance that you're in, especially with with such a mystery that, that seems to surround it. Angie, can I ask you, why is it that you reject the the official narrative of, um, of what police say happened? Uh, it, it's an absolutely impossible narrative. Uh, for example, one of the first things that you notice is that the um, hospital medical records and everything can be supported by documentation that's been put out there. Um, the medical records um, show that Grant only had one injury to his body, and that was to the back of his head, blunt force trauma near the occipital bone um, on the right side of his head. Um, for the story of the only witness, which is Aaron Solomon, uh, his father, says that the truck drug ran over 60 feet down a, a, what was really gnarly pavement um, into a culvert ditch that was filled with riprap, which are those large quarry rocks. And then somehow Grant ended up lying flat on his back with his head facing the building rather than the opposite direction. And um, the truck was pulled over him but did not touch him. So nothing that the multiple stories that Aaron has told um, could possibly be true. 
Uh, they defy gravity. Um, they defy um, all the laws of um, inertia and energy. And they also defy the laws of medicine and they defy common sense. Um, when I got, to, when I was, um, when I did arrive at the hospital, I was pretty cleared out and um, Aaron had made sure there was no doctors or anyone there that I could speak with. However, I did get to speak with nurses. And the first thing they told me was the injuries do not match the accident description. And that right there is a red flag that is supposed to be rolled up the ladder to police to start an investigation if they did not do one at the scene. And nobody did anything. So this is what's, this is what's so confounding. Why would authorities cover um, for Aaron Sullivan, Solomon if what you say is true? If, if the forensics showed otherwise, why would anybody cover for, um, you know, for your son's father? I mean, that's the, that's the question, is who is Aaron Solomon? Who is he really? And really what you're seeing here is in the sadness of Grant not being here any longer, is, is just a continuation of the pattern of life that we lived from 2013 till that day um, in July 20 of 2020 um, under Aaron Solomon's control. It's just a continuation. Why no one helped ever at any point why no one stopped and stepped out of the circle and helped Gracie and Grant just as children on their own. There was, there's a forensic evaluation and interview on file at the Williamson County Sheriff's Department that was arrestable, and they let it go. So if one adult had done their job, Grant wouldn't have had to step in and do the job that adults are supposed to do. So I, I should say um, that... Aaron hasn't been charged uh, with, with Grant's death, and, and Aaron hasn't been charged with some of the allegations that you all say uh, he's responsible for, which are pretty overwhelming. And, and Gracie, I'm going to ask you, and this is hard because I know you're a child, um, but I know that your mom is with you and is allowing you to, to do this interview. Back when you were 14, a couple years ago, you made a riveting video, which is really bold and, and very, very courageous for a child. Um, you made some serious accusations against your father. You said he was guilty of sexual molestation, emotional abuse. You called him a monster, a liar, a rapist, and a killer. Can you tell me a little bit about why you think your father may be responsible for your brother's death? Uh, yes. First off, I want to say thank you so much for having us. It really means a lot that someone's uh, reaching out to us and we are able to speak about our truth and our story. Um, I would like to say um, from my personal experiences with my father and um, witnessing how he treated my brother, um, it is very reasonable for him to be responsible for the death of my brother. I know this is so hard for you. It's been three and a half years, and I can see that the, the pain is still so raw for you. Can you describe what happened to you and to your brother um, that leads you to believe that he had the kind of capacity to take your brother's life? Um, yes. Um, well, ever since I was born or from whenever I can even remember. Um, my father would molest me in the bath. Um, every single time he would get um, 
he, um, I remember him forcing me in his bed and doing unspeakable things to me. And oftentimes I was groggy, um, or I would wake up and not understand why I was in his bed, but I would be hurting, um, physically hurting. Um, all I, all I wanted was my mom, and my brother was the only person there that I could talk to and confide in, and just have, like, a companion, um, since my brother kind of knew, um, what my father was doing to me, and how close we were, um, my father didn't like that, um, my father was very mentally, um, and physically abusive to my brother as well, and who knows if he was sexually abused, but I don't doubt it. Um, but I remember many times and instances where he would get physically, physically aggressive with my brother. For example, like grabbing him by the shirt and pulling him up to his face, um, or just yelling at him. And I've, I've seen so many things. Um, yeah. And, and Gracie, it's my understanding you believe that, that Grant may have died because he was, um, protecting you. Can you explain that a little bit more? Uh, yes, I can. Um, well, to start off, um, one of his close friends after my brother passed, um, he had told us that Grant was planning on going to the court and getting and fighting for me and getting custody for me because we have been scared our whole lives and we know what my father is capable of. And my brother knew that the only way to get me um, and my, f- my family justice eventually was for him to take over. And so he was going to get custody over me. And obviously that couldn't happen because he was dead before he could do that. Um, he, all he cared about was my safety. And we were best friends. Um, so he, he would do anything for me, um, and he knew what he had to do. And ever since my brother and passed... I just, um, I oh, just put up that, that address. Um, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to, you to know that we've put the address on the bottom of the screen, uh, freedomforgracie.com, for those who, who want to read oh. a little bit more about um, your story. At the same time, Angie, this is so overwhelming to hear, um, I, and I can only imagine what... The response has been when you go for help, when you go to the police or the, or the mayor or, or to the DA, what has been the response when you have brought your allegations to them? I'm sorry, can you say that last part again? I heard DA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. What has been the response when you've brought your allegations to all of those levels of authority? No one cares about Grant. No one cares. No one cares about Gracie. It's, it all falls on deaf ears, and I'm not the only one that has, we have so much support. And we're, I, I'm not the only one, and Gracie's not the only one that have brought concerns and have showed evidence. And the investigations that we've done for Grant, the, we have Gracie sitting here saying what has happened to her, and nothing happens. If there are excuses made, uh, it falls on deaf ears, it falls on deaf ears, ears in a lot of the community here. But we also have a lot of support here now. But it is just... Um, it's news. It's uh, here locally. The people that are in positions of power to do something for Grant or for Gracie refuse to even acknowledge that they are. 
you had an ability to reach out, and, and I should acknowledge that, that Aaron has sued you for defamation, so I, I know that there is this, this battle. Um, and again, I, I do need to repeat, these are allegations. He hasn't been charged, but if you had the ability to speak directly to him right now, what would you want to say to um, Aaron Solomon? Nothing. I don't have anything to say to him. I am, again, I'm just so sorry that you've had to endure what, what you've had to endure. Grant, from the photographs, just looked like such a wonderful kid. Um, his smile is just infectious, and, uh, <laughs> and I can understand why Gracie um, and why Angie, you are going through what you're going through. And I, again, I'm just so sorry. Thank you for bringing this to us, and thank you for for telling us his story and please keep us surprised and let us know you know we where won't. this goes from here and we will continue to push for questions as Ashley, well. Ashley, thank you for having us on. We've prayed for national coverage and you've been an answered prayer. And so we have, are just well, so I'm, thankful and grateful to you and I know Grant would feel the same. Well, I'm thankful to you and our prayers are with you as well and we'll continue to keep up the conversation. That's all the time I have for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Cuomo's next. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, I put this country back on its feet. I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. Did President Biden's unexpected speech last night make him or break him? I'm Chris Cuomo. Let's get after it. The fallout from the DOJ report on President Biden has been fast and furious. This should have been a leak. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.